Hello, everyone. Welcome to 15 Minutes, a podcast about fame, episode 38. I'm Jamie Berger, and my guest today is David Sedaris. But before we get to our conversation, this is wrapping up our anniversary, first anniversary month. And because the guest is David Sedaris, we'll have, I'm guessing, a few new listeners. Welcome, new listeners. So I hope you'll indulge me in a two-minute description and pitch based on an email I sent the other day to a media professional. 15 Minutes is pretty much exactly what it says it is, a podcast about fame. Except episodes aren't 15 minutes long. They range from five minutes to over an hour, usually around half an hour, 45 minutes or so. I talk to everyone from my neighbors in Western Mass to an old friend who's an arborist back in San Francisco to the likes of John Hodgman, George Saunders, comedian Maeve Higgins on the media's Brooke Gladstone. The list goes on about the many splendors of fame and what I'm calling fame culture. Copyright 2017, Jamie Berger. While we have a lot of fun on the show, we also talk about the rise of fame in and of itself as a virtue, which I feel is as responsible as anything for much of the horror we see around us today. Some episodes are much lighter than that. Most of them are, really. But some are kind of serious, and most are a mix of the two. It's pretty much as organic conversation as I can muster with people that interest me, famous, anonymous, and everywhere in between. Okay, here's the pitch part. 15 Minutes is completely independent and based physically, as I mentioned, in the woods of western Massachusetts. You might be curious about our traffic. Frankly, I stopped looking after a month or two out of frustration with trying to get accurate numbers and because this is my lone creative endeavor. And whatever else it becomes, I'm trying to let alone. For now. Let's just say we're large enough that some fancy people I have no connection to have come on. But it's small enough that if a network or other entity wanted to take us on, we've got 38 episodes that are at least not bad and some quite good with 25 or so guests of note. Episodes that could be easily relaunched on another platform with almost no audience redundancy. I go on from there in the email to ask if someone, in this case it was uh, the comedian and writer Jonathan Katz, most famous for the brilliant animated show Dr. Katz, which is being uh, relaunched as an audio series on Audible, if he would come on the show. I haven't heard back yet. The point is, to keep this show going, let alone have it grow, we need a home somewhat more prominent than my spare bedroom. If you like what you hear, please pass it on with a share, a retweet, an email. Be the connectors. Help us find that home. You can find us at 15minutesjamieberger.com. That's 1-5-M-I-N-U-T-E-S-J-A-M-I-E-B-E-R-G-E-R.com. Or on Instagram or Twitter at 15 B. 
That's one five M I N S J A M I E B, or on Facebook, or you can email us at info at fifteen minutes jamieberger.com. All right, consider yourself pitched. Here's my conversation with someone who doesn't need much introduction to people who listen to this podcast, I'm guessing, but we'll just say New York Times bestselling humorist, author, and one of my heroes. I'm always encouraging people to ignore the old adage and go the hell ahead and meet your heroes. What's the worst that can happen? David Sedaris. We spoke on the phone in May. Thanks for calling on Place New York. This is Zoha. How may I assist you? Hello. Could you connect me to David Sedaris' room? Uh, of course. His his room is a guest with us, sir? Yes, that's a guest, David Sedaris. Of course. What Good afternoon. Thank you for calling Lincoln, please. We have this is Daytona. How may I direct your call? Could you, pl- uh, could you please try the room of David Sedaris for me? David who? Sedaris. S as in Sam. E-D as in David. Okay, let me transfer you over. I got it. One moment. Sir. Great, thanks. The guest you are trying to reach is not available right now. Please. Strike two. Good afternoon. Thank you for calling Langham Place, New York. This is Claudia. How many directs your call? Could you please try the room of uh, guest David Sedaris? Uh, let me just see if we have that guest. How do you spell the last name? S as in Sam. E. D as in David. Do you need more? No, thank you. Great, thanks. One moment, please. Hello? Hello, David Sedaris. This is Jamie Berger from the... Hi, Jamie. I'm so sorry. I, I, I had an, another interview, and I didn't know how to do the uh, pause thing on the phone. I oh, that's quite all right. Do... Uh, I'm, I'm just glad I've reached you. Do you have another tightly scheduled one coming up? Because that would change how no. I approach this. <laughs> no. Okay. Um, so I don't. You may. Re- how do you spell your last name? Berger, with an E. B e r g e r. Yes. What's your address? My my physical address. Yeah, your home address. And then I gave David Sedaris my address. Um, zero. One three seven six. Okay, I'm sorry. Go on. Well, thank you for asking. Um, 
you may re- remember that we, we met in Worcester, and I told you about the podcast I do about fame. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. And so here I am finally reaching you. I, I, wrote, okay. I wrote to your publicist today, so I haven't, uh, after writing a few times, and I was like, so last chance, is this going to happen? And they were like, okay, how about 3.30? So I haven't done my homework quite as thoroughly as I'd like to, but I've been thinking about this for a long time. Oh, I was just wondering how long? Will we be talking? Whatever works. It could be 10 minutes. It could be half an hour. It could be whenever you go to dinner. Episodes range from, you know, from five to an hour. Okay. All right. Because I've got like uh, half an hour. That's beautiful. Because I have to go on TV tonight, so I have to get ready for my... What, what are you on tonight? Colbert. Oh, wonderful. They're taping it tonight. It won't go on till tomorrow. That's a good thing to remember, though. They're taping it tonight. So that way... Do you know what I mean? Anything can happen between <laughs> That's true. today and tomorrow. You know, so it could get bumped, or if it's really sucky, maybe they'd say, you know what, let's just not, let's just not do, let's do them a favor and just burn that tape. Oh. <laughs> and the way things are going, we might not even be here tomorrow. You're right. I I want to just preface by saying that I used to talk to people because this is a topic. I do this show because it's a topic that's always interested me, intrigued me, kind of bothered me. And I used to talk about the my ideal level of fame being would be to have David Sedaris 15 years ago. Of course I've been saying that for a long time, so it's huh. long where 15 years ago. Where you get to well, it might have been 15 years ago starting 10 years ago. I don't know. Where you publish <laughs> when you want in the New Yorker, you make a decent living, you can go on TV sometimes but you can still be invisible in the world. Yeah. I mean, that's now, too. And you get to collaborate with people. Yeah. and Well, I know it's now, yeah. too. Yeah, you still can walk around the world without being, uh, you know, onslaughted. Right. To, to create a verb. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's fun, it, so I'm glad to finally be talking to you because you used to be the example that I mentioned. I've been... I don't know if you if you are tired of talking about the book or you delighted to. I know that's what you're supposed to be doing. Um, after the reading, when you mentioned you thought of it as something that'd be great to read in a more of an I Ching fashion, just jumping in on random mm-hmm. spots, I've done that and I've really enjoyed it. And the thing that that one of the things that I come away with is you know, as with your other work, it's it's it's. It's the intimacy that is so pleasing. Uh, but you don't talk, at least in this first of two volumes leading up to 2002, about yourself as more than just a person in the world, not as a, as a public figure, as someone gaining success, as things like that. Is it something you just don't write about? Well, you know, I'd have to say that out of all the things that I was uncomfortable putting in the book... It was, that made me the least comfortable. I mean, I did write about, you know, getting a review for our play in the New York Times and what that felt like and hearing that my book was on the bestseller list. And But a lot of that I kept out of the book just because um, I, it, that seemed much more intimate than anything that I wrote about, you know, about meeting someone at a laundromat and going home with them, you know, Mm -hmm. just seemed much more revealing 
was my enthusiasm and my delight and my fear concerning that. I mean, I went to La Mama. I filmed this interview yesterday, and I went to, they wanted to do it at a place that held significance for me. So I said La Mama, which is a theater um, in East Village where we used to do our plays. My sister Amy and I used to do our plays. And they had the archive there, which I was surprised to see it. It was, I had a state of folder on each of the plays that we had done at La Mama. And the plays got progressively thicker, you know, and filled with the very first one. It just had flyers Mm -hmm. and a list of people who came this night and the other night. And then they got thicker and there were were flyers and magazine profile. I mean, reviews and magazine profiles and, uh, uh, you know, a lot of press. But but I remember the woman who, who got us started there at La Mama, her name was Meryl Vladimir. Mm-hmm. And she said, I did a reading there, and then she called me in later, and she said, I'm going to make you a star. <laughs> and it's just what you dream of when you're a kid. You know, you dream of somebody saying that. And I remember uh, Amy and I, we were brought into the William Morris Agency, and the guy said, you're a, he turned to Amy and he said, you're a star. And he turned to me and he said, you're a star writer. And again, it speaks to your 12-year-old self, right? That this is the dream, that you're in this office and that this person is saying this thing to you. And, you know, I think one of the reasons, too, I didn't put it in the book because it's like, well, I'm pretty sorry excuse for a star. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, I mean, then people would laugh and then say, what, you think you're a star? But... So I think that's one of the reasons that I didn't put it in the book because, again, I'm sorry, excuse for one, but still, uh, hearing those words from somebody was just so heady. It just, mm-hmm. I, and you want to believe them, but then you're afraid to believe believe them at the same time. I, uh, you, you think, well, you're crazy if you think that, but then you think, but wait, I think it too. Oh, yeah. And and then you don't, and then you do. And again, you're right. Like the the level of of whatever it is that I have is a perfect level. You know, sometimes you go to the airport and they're like, "Are you the writer?" And sometimes they're like, "Sorry, I can't." I'll see. Middle seats all we've got. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had to. I had. <laughs> I I had to spell your name calling the front desk. So that's a sign of of a healthy anonymity. Still. Yeah. Uh, Right. And then there are other people that, that say, uh, I mean, it's, it's sort of sweet that people will say, well, you're not registered under your own name, are you? I've been, <laughs> I, I, I often do commercials for, when I go on tour, I do a commercial for whatever pleases me, right? Mm-hmm. And so sometimes I'll be in a really great hotel and I'll do a commercial for it. I'll go on stage and I'll say, you know, if you have anybody coming to town or if you ever, you know, need to celebrate something, you need to go to the Biltmore Four Seasons. I said, now this is a hotel. And I go on and on about it. No one's ever called me at the hotel. Nobody's ever pestered me in any way. Like nobody, yeah, I mean, I'm not. I'm surprised. Fame just exists in other people's minds. Mm. And it's true. When you meet somebody, when I meet somebody who is, you know, 
who's who I consider to be famous, I'm very aware of people looking at that person. Mm-hmm. That person's not aware of it at all. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm just thinking that this person is so huge and they're not thinking that. They're just thinking, oh, look, we're out for coffee together and we're getting to know each other. Yeah. Yeah, and after a few minutes, it, it, it becomes just that. With a gracious person. Yes. I mean, a gracious person will see that you're nervous and they'll, I mean, I don't want to sound like a, like a name dropper, but Whoopi Goldberg, I said something nice about Whoopi Goldberg in the New York Times, and then she sent these cookies to my house in England. Aww. And she, and she said, uh, you know, if you're in New York, we should have dinner. And I was going to be in New York in a couple of days. And so we went to dinner and I was a wreck because <laughs> Whoopi Goldberg did this one woman show in like 1984. It's brilliant. I mean, it was yeah. brilliant. I mean, it had a huge effect on me and I've watched it over and over and over and over again. It was on HBO. HBO had just started. And, uh, and so I met her and I was nervous and she was so gracious. She just doesn't allow for it. And she just makes herself human to take that away from you. She doesn't, it's not doing her any good for you to be nervous in front of her because you're not being yourself. And so a gracious person like her, that's the first thing on their list is to make you yourself again. Where, and, and an ungracious person, they don't care. They just right. gonna keep you that right. way. Right, and uh, yes, and and then there's the super ungracious who would prefer that you stay uncomfortable. Right. So, with that in mind, seeing as you just did Colbert, how, I mean, how was that experience? I know you've you used. To, I remember oh, I'm seeing doing you it on tonight. Letterman. What? I'm doing it tonight. Oh, I thought you already recorded. No, no, no. I can't wait to set. I already recorded it because I. Whenever I agree to go on TV, I'm like, damn it, why did I do this? Why did I say I would do this? <laughs> your your Letterman appearances were always very pleasing to me. Really? I oh, mean, yeah. because he was one of those people that, you know, you don't see him until you're out there. Yeah. You know? Where John Stewart would come into your dressing room and hang out, and he remembers your friends' names, <laughs> and he just gets you really comfortable and says, let's continue this on stage. Nice. And then one time on, on John Stewart, I said, I'm, can I tell a joke? He said, yeah, but don't tell it to me now because I don't want a fake laugh. And I'll, I'll set you up for it. And he set me up for the joke. He's a lovely, lovely person. Just really, um, because not everybody's an actor and not everybody is fast on their feet and not everybody is comfortable. You know, I think sometimes TV people think like, eh, it's just, you know, it's just TV. But the problem, too, is it, it's not that the audience didn't come to see me, right? I, I was on, um, I had to go on that Jimmy Fallon show. Mm-hmm, yeah. Okay, and Reese Witherspoon was on. Now, that's a star. Now, that's who people came to see, yes. right? And so they didn't come to see me. And so when they're like, who? Because the people who go to those shows, they live in New Jersey and they live on Long Island and they have company in town. And so they got the tickets. They got tickets to a taping of the show. And they have no idea who I am. And they're just taking all their cues from the host. If the host seems to like you, then they'll like you. If he doesn't, then they won't. And it's all 
you know, it's all prearranged. Like there's a pre-interview when you show up and they have, you know, his questions and your answers written on a sheet of paper. And if, if, if your answer, you don't have to be verbatim, but if your answer on the telephone was, was a minute long, it better not be a minute and 10 seconds long because then he'll just cut you off, you know, and change the, and make a joke about what you were just saying. And there goes your whole setup to the story. And you just, sitting there, it's bad enough when that happens at a dinner party, but this is on TV. Do I sound panicked enough for you? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I promise you, you're going to be fine. I can't imagine. I, I wish I was you. I wish I was anybody who didn't have to go on TV tonight. Very interesting. But will you, assuming you don't feel awful, will you feel great, great afterwards? I'll feel relieved afterwards that it's over. I mean, I'm not afraid of... I know Stephen Colbert from when he was with my, si- my sister at Second City. And, and you know, I haven't, I haven't seen him in a while, but, you know, it's not like we talk on the phone or anything like that, but if he saw me on the street, he would say, David, and I would say, Stephen. So <laughs> it could be worse. Yeah. Actually, I, I was going to ask you about something about... you. So you and Amy... You know, you you went to William Morris. You 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 were you wanted to be public. People. They called us in, right? They called us in, and I never signed with them. I already had like a literary agent who I was fine with. Right. My question though is: so you and Amy wanted this public life. How do how did Paul and your mom and dad take about take to being famous and or infamous? Um. Well, like my brother. My brother Paul really likes it, you know. I mean, he likes the. And my dad likes it, you know. We don't always do stuff that he wishes, you know. Like he'll call Amy and say, "Why'd you have to make yourself ugly?" You know, Jesus, you're a beautiful woman. You get on TV and you got the hump and you got the mole with the <laughs> hair coming out of it. Why the hell did you do that? And or he'll call me. Why did you? Yeah, why? When I first started on the radio, why did you have to talk about that? Why did you have to say you were gay? Why did you have to do that? Are you rubbing people's noses in it? Nobody wants to hear that. And again, it's not like my dad's like Mr. Radio. Like he doesn't, (laughs) I mean, I'm not going to take, you know, if it was like how to design a computer, yeah, give me, uh, please give me your thoughts. But he doesn't, you know, he doesn't know anything about entertaining people or, or writing. But he likes, he likes the thing like, oh, he loves getting people free stuff. Like, oh, I can get him to send you a book or no, I can get you tickets. How many do you want? 15? That's no problem. I'll get you 15 tickets. So he likes that. I love you. You talked, yeah, you wrote recently about, or talked somewhere about how, you know, when you were in the New Yorker, but weren't getting a review in the Charlotte Observer, he didn't think you were famous. Well, no. What happened is, I was on the New York Times bestseller list, and he said, "Well, you're." I said, "I'm that." I said, "I'm I'm number one on the New York Times bestseller list." Well, you're not number one on the Wall Street Journal list. <laughs> and I said, "Well, I said, you know, the Wall Street Journal list isn't really the one that that counts, you know, for book people. Ah, oh, baloney. Like anybody, a New Yorker father would be like, oh my god." can't believe you're number one on the New York Times. So that's, that's great. And I mean, but to say we are not number one on the wall street journal, but that's my dad. And he's always been my dad. And I would be surprised if he'd said anything else. 
Speaking about about your yeah, and and we love him out here in the world, uh, we do. But at, your mom makes me think of my mom who died about what eight years ago, and there are still things because she's the person who got what I was always trying to do very well. But I, I there's always this feeling still remaining that I never got to really show her something. How how old were you when she died? If I may go a little dark. Sure. Um, I was 30, let's see, I was 33 when I moved to New York. I was 34 when my mother died. And so I hadn't published a book and I hadn't, um, you know, I hadn't had anything pub. I mean, I'd had a couple of little things published in magazines no one's ever heard of, but I didn't, you know, she certainly didn't uh, see her investment payoff. I mean, she was very supportive that way. Mm -hmm. And did you have, or do you still have feelings about that? Like, do you wish she had seen more of it? Yeah. I mean, she didn't, I just wrote about that in the New Yorker. I mean, it hasn't come out yet, but we're, but it was about that in part. It was mainly about uh, my mother's drinking, but then it was about, too, how I would have loved to have spoiled her, you know, I mean, being in now in a position to do so, you know, just to take her places that she had never been before. And, you know, if my mother were alive right now, I would say we're going on tour and we leave in two weeks and I've got all the tickets and everything. And you're going to be introducing me on stage every night. Uh. And my mother would have loved that. And she would have, man, to have an audience. I mean, she's the one who really taught us that when you walk into the dry cleaner, everybody who's in there is your audience. Really? Right? They're not. Yeah, they're not. They're not just people. They're your audience. And are you going to win that audience, or are you going to turn your back on them? Did she teach you I, that by example, or did she say that? She taught it by example, but also it was just sort of. I mean, just the way that she could, it was, it was, like I said, it's the difference between treating people like if I remember on trial for murder and then I'm talking about it later, I'd say, so I turned to the audience and said, <laughs> I, was, I turned to the audience and said, how could I have killed him? I never even met him. Like, I wouldn't think <laughs> I turned to the jury. I would think I turned to the audience. And that's something that I get from my mother. <laughs> a firing squad. You know, so I turned to the audience and I said, I don't need a blindfold. That's a tough way to look at the audience. Um, <laughs> speaking of which, I have seen you read a couple times. And I, I love that you bring in jokes that you're told. And I love that some of them are challenging to your base. <laughs> um, in Worcester... You told the pizza joke and your reaction to it. Oh, uh-huh. uh, should we have you tell it, or else people won't know? Would you want to? Do you think you on the spot? Can you tell the the, the pizza joke and your? Oh yeah, so I was I was um, doing the show and I was in New York State. I was in, gosh, it's right outside of the city. Um, golly, I don't remember the name of the town right now, but uh, and this kid came with his gay father. 
Mm-hmm. And the kid was 11 years old. And he said, I got a joke for you. He said, what's good on a pizza, but not on pussy. And I said, I beg your pardon. What's good on a pizza, but not on pussy. And I was thinking, well, lots of things, you know, <laughs> mushrooms, piping hot cheese. Mm-hmm. And he said, crust. And I, I couldn't, I mean, one of the things that was, the, the whole reason I wrote about that is that he has no idea what's good on pizza, but not on pussy. Right. And he's telling, and his dad has no idea. He knows what's and good I on a pizza. No Pardon? Yeah. I said he knows what's good on a pizza. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But he doesn't yeah. know. And so none of us had really <laughs> any idea what was good on a pizza, but not on pussy. But, but crust is probably what bad. Me was, what killed me was his, how proud he was and how proud his dad was of him. And I thought, I don't know, I had, that, that, that seemed weird about it to me. But so much has come from that because I told that joke one night and somebody said, my mother heard me say the word pussy when I was 10 years old and she made me eat a bar of lava soap with oh. a knife and fork. Isn't that oh. great? <laughs> a so, bar of lava soap with a knife and fork. That's, that's horrible. <laughs> So, so uh, what I enjoy, because I guess I enjoy groans and awkwardness, is the the audience was a little stunned, <laughs> you know, th- by the joke, not by your reaction to it. It made it better, but is that a goal? Do you like that reaction? No, but I kind of insist. I kind of insist on, like, I think that that's an interesting and funny story, and. If you don't, then, you know, that's okay and stuff, but I don't, I, I get a lot of letters from people. It's like, I heard you on the radio and I heard you tell that Santa elf story. And that's what I was hoping for when I came and bought it. And instead you told a joke that I won't even get into. It's so filthy. And I'm thinking, well, I mean, you can't, if I told that joke and nobody laughed, right, I wouldn't tell it again. But I was there, okay? And it's the biggest laugh of the night. And so you have been using it on the tour? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was there. So don't, just don't tell me that it wasn't funny and that nobody laughed. Because people do that a lot. I was, and nobody found it funny. He, yeah, you did. And I made note of it. But, I don't understand getting upset by language. I, 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 I'm not a person who is offended. Um, not even like if someone uses the word faggot. I, you know, I, I, I don't, offended is not what I feel, right? I mean, if somebody, if somebody, let's say, rolls down the window and says, get out of the road, you faggot. Now, I'm not offended by that. I, I don't like it at all, but I'm not offended is not the right word for me to use. Um, I, I don't know. It, I, there's another word for it. And so I think, really, were you offended when I told the pussy joke? 
it's hard for me not to. I, I, I try to avoid bringing people misery by bringing in the president. But, and, but when you talk about offending with words, it's hard not to, to, to think to go there. Um, do you think you're going to talk about politics tonight? I don't know. I, I, I feel like talking about politics, I feel like I probably read the same things that you read. And we probably sound alike if we were to talk about politics. I mean, how many times have I found myself in a conversation lately where, oh, the person just said the line I was going to give, so I'll give this line. But they were just about to give that line. So it's a mishmash of stuff that we've heard and we've – like Bill Maher, it's like, please talk about politics. Please. Sarah Vowell, please talk about politics. Oh, God, yes. But I don't feel like I'm an original thinker in that way. I don't think I'm saying anything that your cousin hasn't said. Yeah, the reason I bring it up is because I really appreciate that uh, Stephen Colbert and uh, Seth um, Blanking uh, have decided. Yes, have decided to go there. Uh, yeah, you know, instead of you know, they're they're Middle America late night TV, and they're like, no, fuck this. Because I've been on other shows before where like the, the host is like very clear, like he does not, he does not take sides, right? Um, but you know, I mean, that was funny. Like that, I wrote a, I wrote a story about the election, and I was reading on my tour, mm-hmm. and uh, every night there would be people who would walk out, and I would think, who did you think I voted for? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, my sister Amy had, you know, something on her Instagram account one time. And I couldn't believe the hateful things that people wrote in. And again, I thought the same thing. Like, who do you think she voted for? Yeah. I mean, what, why would you think for one moment that she would vote for Donald Trump? But they're there to be angry. That's why they're on her Instagram. <laughs> You're right. It's a hobby. <laughs> it's a hobby. Yeah. Um... Well, I, I look forward to seeing you. I hope the world doesn't end and it won't get bumped. I would be fine with me. <laughs> if the world ended or you got bumped? If, if the world has to end for me to get bumped, I'm fine with that too. <laughs> I, can't, I just can't tell you how much I dread it. I just want, more than anything, I just want it to be over. But you like performing in front of a, at a reading though, or don't you? Yeah. No, I love that. But it's different. The audience came to see me. Right. I'm exactly who they came to see. So I've already won in a sense. Maybe I can give you a little something to take with you to, to go on tonight. And think of that, the fact that you're not Meryl Streep on the show, but you're a bonus. You're an unexpected pleasure. Well, I guess that's... You know, the thing to do is... I mean, it's. I mean, I, I often feel like when I'm on stage and let's say I've done a show and there's a Q and A, I'm not even thinking about it. I'm just kind of being myself. And then afterwards, I think, wow. I mean, especially, you, you know, so many things in my life all along the way said, just don't be yourself and you'll be okay. Mm. Just cover up who you are and you'll be okay. But then to be, to make a name for yourself, 
just by being completely yourself. Yeah. Um, and so that's the thing is when you go on TV, you just have to think like, wait a minute, if I'm myself, I'm okay. Mm-hmm. The problem is trying to bend myself to somebody else's will or trying to make myself likable to people who I don't know anything about. That's just a losing game, you know? Yeah. So all you can do is go out there and be yourself, but sometimes you have to remind yourself to be yeah. yourself. Who that is. <laughs> I mean, at least I know who that person is. Did you see that um, feud mini-series about Joan Crawford and Betty Davis? Oh, no. Go ahead. It's so good. And I thought it was going to be campy, but it's not at all. And there's a point at the end where Joan Crawford says, I spent my whole life being Joan Crawford, this woman who I invented. And when I'm alone, I don't know who I am. And it, was, it just tore your heart right out when you heard her say that. And, and Jessica Lange is amazing in this show. Do you watch it? It's so good. Yeah, I I remember reading about it and then forgetting about it. Yeah, that that sounds. Yeah, I love Jessica Lange, so that's a great. Yeah, she is superb in this. You can't take your eyes off her. Yeah, the postman always rings twice was a pretty formative high school experience for me. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, try to have a little fun tonight, and okay. Maybe I'll see you in Brattleboro in the fall. Oh, that'd be terrific. Thanks. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Bye. Less than a week after we recorded, I got a lovely postcard in the mail. If you want to see the picture on the front of it, go to 15minutesjamieberger.com. The words on the back will remain between David and me. If you enjoyed this episode, and or others, please consider my pitch back at the beginning there, and pass us along in whatever way you know how, or maybe drop us a line even. David Sedaris is touring all over the place throughout much of this year, reading from his wonderful new book, the first of two volumes of his diaries that range from 1977 to nearly the present, volume one of which is called Theft by Finding. As ever, Ed Patnode is our stalwart engineer, keeping the 15 minutes train on the rails and blowing the whistle when we pass through your town. This is 15 Minutes. I'm Jamie Berger.